I'd like to do, I would like you to turn with me this morning to the book of Luke. Praise Jesus. We've been looking at Luke for some time now, and um, I trust God that we'll be able to on, on a few things this morning. Luke. Luke. As we've been reading Luke, what we have identified so far is this. That Jesus, when you look at Luke chapter 4, and the verses 1 to the verse 12. My emphasis is going to be on the verses 9 to 12. But I would like it to take us back one more time to verses 1 to 2. When you look at the whole passage of the temptation of Jesus, he, he is tempted first with food about his identity. He is tempted secondly with, you know, along the line of his purpose, his kinship. And now he's being tempted in relation to God himself. God himself. And this also, Jesus, will pass. And so would we. Hallelujah. This morning I want to encourage you, one, I, I want to encourage you as well, that whatever you're doing, I want you to be set Try as much as possible not to be, you know, not to take your focus off, but follow. Because some of the things I'm going to say here this morning might be a bit challenging initially to take in. It may challenge some ideas that you have when it comes to the faith God and the Bible. So I want you to be very attentive this morning. Praise God. And the first thing I want to say is this. <laughs> that God, God, God allows you and me to be tempted. To see whether we believe that in all circumstances of life, he, God, is without error. So I'm sure that, you know, that's the first thing, that's the thing I'm talking about, the first thing I've just mentioned, that God allows us to be tempted. And someone will say, wow, now, that's a bit strange. Yes, God does. He allows us to be tempted. And it is for us to see whether we believe. And remember, believe means to accept that something is true. So he wants to see whether we accept this truth that in all circumstances, 
He, God, is without error. No error in God. Praise Jesus. So having established that, or having said this, the first thing I want us to, to, to I want to say is this that you see, God allow us to allows us to be tempted. So when he faced temptation, James says, when you face temptations, do what? Rejoice. Count it all joy. James 1 2. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. James teaches. Then when you go into Job chapter 1, the 6th verse to the 12th verse, there we see, <laughs> Bible says that one day God was having a meeting with his own people and Satan shows up and then God asks him, have you seen my servant Job? So it was God himself who brings the matter up. Have you seen my servant Job? And he said, yeah. And then God says, do you see that there's no one like him in the earth? And then Satan goes, no, it's because, you know, you've showed at him, you've given him all these things, so why would he not serve you? Take them away, and then God says, okay, I'll give you that chance, go, but don't touch his life. So go and do your worst in his life and see. <laughs> so it is a test. It's a proven. Hallelujah. It's a, it's a proven. So he allows us to be tempted. But this morning, I want, to, I want to bring you to Luke chapter, one, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, one more time. Come with me. Luke chapter 4, the verses 1 to 2. It reads, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, or of the Holy Ghost, returns from Jordan and was led. Mark that if it's in your Bible or write it down. You see, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Being 40 days tempted of the devil. And in those days, he did eat nothing. And when the day when they when they were ended, he afterwards hungered. We see from this place, you see, that it was the spirit, first of all, let me make a point here. It was the spirit himself that led Jesus into the wilderness. Now, a wilderness is a desert place. A wilderness is a place uninhabited by people, meaning there are no people there. And it was a spirit that led Jesus there. And I want to make a point on this one. That you see, a wilderness re refer, oh, a wilderness, a wilderness signifies a place where there are no people. That means a place of loneliness. So the Spirit of God would lead us in some seasons of our lives, would lead us into seasons of loneliness. Where, you know, you are in a place where there's no one around you. Or even when there are people around, you feel so lonely, unconnected. 
It seems people don't understand you and people don't even have any connection with or affection for you. It could be, in a, you know, it could be that you, know, um, you are in a place where you feel like people don't really care. And I'm sure that most of us can identify with this. And these, you probably have thought, well, it is the devil causing people to react towards me like that. No, the Bible says the spirit of Jesus was full of the spirit. And he was led into the wilderness. Into that lonely place, into that lonely season. See, you see, so here what we see is that the Spirit of God does not only lead us into green, into seasons of greener pastures, He also leads us into seasons of loneliness. Where you are there alone, alone, by yourself. And the Spirit led Him there. And it was there the devil also was tempting him. 40 days. Now you see, what I am not saying that the Holy Spirit and the devil were dwelling together. Well, that's, not what, that's not what I'm saying. But he is led by the Spirit to a lonely place. A place where there are no people. And there he gets his temptation. So, the Holy Spirit was inside of him, but the devil was outside putting ideas into his head. So what that also, in, what that also means is that <laughs> being full of the Holy Spirit does not mean you will not be tempted. Because sometimes people think that, you see, if I'm full of the Holy Spirit, then there'll be no temptation. You see, right here, Jesus, God's manual, or God's principle, we learn here that you can be, actually, when you are full of the Holy Spirit, that is when you are even to expect a temptation is, is, is coming. In the past, you know, when people have really had fellowship with God and, and, and they've come out and they're oozing with strength and a temptation comes, then they begin to doubt. Did I really engage, engage with God? Maybe I didn't pray well. Maybe, maybe I didn't understand what God was saying well. Maybe, maybe my fellowship. No, 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 no. It's proper. It's, it is normal. Actually, that is, that is normality in the kingdom of God. That when you're full of the spirit, the spirit, the, the, the devil comes. Job was right on top of his game forever before God sacrificing on, on behalf of his, of his children and doing that and fearing God and walking in the fear of God when his temptation came. God have mercy and help us here. Hallelujah. So, you see, you see, so when you are being tempted, it does not also mean that the Holy Ghost is not there. So when you're going through those lonely moments, quiet moments, and it's just you, and you feel like your pastor don't, doesn't care, your brother doesn't care, your sisters don't, don't care, you feel a bit lonely and, you know, alone. Remember, Jesus 
full of the Spirit, was led into the wilderness, and for 40 days he was being tempted. And 40 days being tempted, you see, let me comment on that also. What the temptations we read here in Luke 4 are, are just basically the highlights of that period of temptation. That means throughout the 40 days he was being tempted. So what we read here are the highlights or, you know, the prominent ones in those temptations that Jesus shared with the disciples, which they now tell us here. So there were different sorts of temptations during that period. And guess what? He was alone. He was alone. At least... Adam and Eve had each other to bounce of ideas, but they still couldn't do it. Hello? So sometimes, so sometimes it's good when you're alone. Because here, being alone, he relied upon the scriptures. It is written. And let me say this to you, too, before we continue. That Jesus was not tempted as God. He was tempted as human. As Jesus, human. He was fully God, fully human, fully, fully man. But in this, in this temptation, it was as man. So that the way he handled the temptations here, you and me, we can handle ours the same way. And that's why we are here this morning learning from the scriptures. Praise God. With me so far? Praise Jesus. So Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted of the devil. In. So now when you're being tempted, when temptations come, don't let us look at it as if you know it shouldn't be. Because it is required in the path. It is required that whether in all circumstances we believe that God is without error or God remains without error. But there's no error in God. Because that is what the devil is pushing here. That there's error in God. Now, let's go to the verses 9 and look at this third. So we've looked at the first temptation of Jesus about a stone into bread. We've looked at the second one about, you know, about bowing to Satan, you know, giving him worship, acknowledging Satan as authority. And we learn that, you know, in fulfilling our purposes, our God-given purposes, or even in fulfilling any goal in life, what we need to understand is that we do not use methods that God would not approve of. But we execute our goals and our purposes in line with the values 
of the kingdom of God. Amen. Just trying to recap here. And some of the values we are, we are, we are talking about love, we are talking about integrity, we, we're talking about contentment, we, we're talking about, you know, um, self-control, we are talking about things like hard work, perseverance, and all that. To God be the glory. Now come with me to the verse 9. Luke 4 verse 9, please. Luke 4 and the ninth verse. Luke 4 and the 9 verse. I'm still on the subject that God allows us to be tempted. He allows it. He permits it. He does not tempt you, but he allows it. Verse 9. And he brought him, but it's <laughs> the devil, you know, he lived the wilderness. First of all, it was, the wilderness. it was in the wilderness, takes him to the mountain, now brings him to Jerusalem. And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of a temple. That is the top of the, of the, of the, of the, of the temple. And said unto him, if thou be the son of God, Cast thyself down from hence. That is, from this top of the temple. Stand here. Because that's what he brought him. Stand on, on the top of the temple. Now, jump down. You know, jump down. And the encouragement he, gave, he gives him was that God, your father, shall give his angels charge over you. And they will make sure that you don't fall. They will see to you that there's no falling. They will see to you that, you know, they, they catch you so that you don't hit your, you don't, you don't hurt your toe. <laughs> kind of. But the devil is a liar. Right. Let's take the first one. He brings him to Jerusalem and then sets him on the top of the temple and says, cast yourself down. Why does he do that? Why that? You know, <laughs> one tradition says that one, one tradition of the of the Jews reads that or in their account when the Messiah comes he will stand on top of the temple that was one of their accounts so by Jesus but that is not in scripture as we have it here right so if, if Jesus, Jesus now stands on top of this temple and falls down, what he's basically doing is that he's, he will be giving them a magnificent or a sensational entrance. And they'll get it. And you see, and around the temple, there were always people. So they will see him jumping or coming down. And from this high thing, he's able to start, jump down and you know, unhurt because the angels would have sustained him. Wow. Wow. Then, who is this? Who is this? Where, where, did, he, where, where did he jump from? The top of the, of the temple. Then that is the Messiah. You know, quickly. Get your fame, get your thing going and all that. 
Now, <laughs> the condition he gives him to do this job is this. Cast yourself down. If, right, cast yourself down. Or, or if you are the son of God, cast yourself down. If you are indeed God's son, then cast yourself down. What he's basically saying here is this. It's not the same as the first one. If that be the son of God, the same sentence, but we hear the sense is this. If God indeed is father to you, or if God indeed is father, then he should take care of you. If God fathers you, if God, if you're God, because now he's dealing with Christ as human, right? As man. So if your God is indeed Father, if he's indeed God to you, Father to you, then when you're going down as a father, he must do something. That is the issue. That. So this time it's, it is it is turned on God. If you're really my, if you're, if you're really my father, then why this? If you're really my, but he doesn't end there, and that's what makes this particular temptation very interesting. He backs it up with scripture, and he says <laughs> in verse ten, for meaning because. You see, do that if God is your father, cast yourself down. Because it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up. Lest at any time you dash your foot against a stone. He's so caring. This is his word. Jesus, this is the word of God. So if you see your father, do this sensational entrance to take the kingdom, the whole, you know, of Jerusalem. will agree with you. The Pharisees will not be antagonizing you. You know, they, they will like you. They, you, 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 you. You will be their power. Oh, God have mercy. But you see, what we need to understand is this. Whenever the devil quotes scripture, hello, wherever you will hear me, clear, hear me well. Whenever, write this down so you don't forget it. Whenever the devil quotes scripture, it is always contorted or twisted. He does not speak the truth, the Bible says. So how can he speak truthfully even when he quotes scripture? It's impossible for him to speak truth. So when he quotes scripture, watch out. It's just like anyone who doesn't know God, doesn't serve God, and then comes and tells you something, and the person comes back in the up with scripture. Doubt it. 
Because if you really adhere to God's word, you will serve him. Anyone who is not serving God, when they quote scripture to you, first of all, doubt it. Don't believe it first, man. Or else you'll be a simple person. Because a simple believes all things. But don't be simple. Praise God. Check it first. Now, where, you see, the reason I'm saying this is, this, he twists that Satan quotes this scripture from Psalm 91. Come with me to, come, let, let, let's come with me to Psalm 91, please. In Psalm 91, verse, verse 11. Let's go, let's go there. Psalm 91, verse, verse 11. He quotes this scripture from verse 11. But see the way he quotes it. He's, in, verse, in verse 11, it, it says, right? For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Now, when I read the scripture, my question to the devil was, why didn't you continue with verse 13? Because verse 13 would not have done him good. Verse 13 would have troubled him greatly. Verse 13 would have troubled him. Oh. The verse 13 says, Thou shalt tread, tread upon the lion and the adder, and he is the adder. The, long, the, the, the young lion and the dragon shall not trample under feet. So that, would not, that, that one didn't suit him. So he chose the one that suited him. But you see, that's not all. Wherever you are, write this word, context. It's important in the Bible. Write it down. In your note or whatever, put it down. That context is always key reading your Bible. Don't let someone just quote a verse to you and get away with it. Always check the context. Especially the devil quotes it or an agent of the devil quotes it. Or a person who doesn't serve God, but gets a scripture in their hands and comes to quote it to you, telling you to do something because they quoted a verse. Always check the context. It's all, it would always be a lie. Why all of a sudden you quote the scripture? Because you want to deceive me. See, Bible says that, you see, the, the, the devil comes, in, bring, comes, comes along as an angel of light. Oh, you present something as if it is true. And if you fall for it, you are in trouble. Don't fall for it. Tell someone sitting next to you, don't, don't fall for it. Praise God. You see, now, what do I mean by context? Let's read Psalm 91 in context. Let's take it from the verse 9. Read verse 9. In verse 9, it, it reads, Because, because thou hast made the Lord which is my refuge, even the most high, your habitation. Because a person has made God his dwelling place. A person has made God where he dwells, his habitation, his place of abode. In him you move and live and have your being. 
A person has decided, I will do all my things in God, in Christ. Outside of Christ, I will do nothing. If the thing does not bring glory to Christ to, or, or to God, I'm not doing it. A person who has bound himself to walk God's way, to do things in God's way. God says, it is to that person, let's read on. In verse 10, it says, it is to that person, he, he says, there shall no evil before thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee. It is, it is this person. Come with me to the Luke chapter 4. The Luke chapter 4, please. The way he puts it in Luke chapter 4, I should have. Look at this. The way he puts it in Luke chapter 4, in the verse 9, the last part. If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from here, from thence. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. So here, the devil does cut and pasting. He's doing cutting and pasting. He cuts a part of the scripture, come and, comes to put it to his, joins it with, with his own idea, with his own words, and it makes it really so nice, so perfect. Cast yourself, throw yourself down, for God will give his angels charge over you. So it makes you think that actually it is true that God is talking about somebody falling from, from some height. And then the angels taking charge over you. But no, that was not the context. The context is the person who is just simply going through normal life. Going through life, living your life as God wants you to wherever you are, not necessarily fall, falling down from anywhere, but pleasing God. That kind of life, God gives his angels charge over you. So, any danger ahead of you, he takes care of it. But he makes it look like the scenario he picked, he, the, the scenario that he, that he stages is actually what has been written. But that is not. So you see here, he twists the scriptures to suit his own agenda. That's why I say, don't ever believe him if he quotes scripture to you. It will always be twisted. So always go back to the scripture and read the scripture in its proper context. What I mean by context is that read the verses before and read the verses, the verses after. Even if possible, read the chapter before and the chapter after to get the, con to get the context very well. It will save you. It will save you. Like, um, anytime I talk about this, a story comes into mind. But this story, it was a Christian who was cutting and pasting scripture. There was this Christian man, Christian brother, who lived with this brother who was not a Christian, and they, and they shared the same bed. And this Christian brother loved his sleep. He loved his sleep. But this brother of his who was not a, a Christian would wake up early and start doing things and they would come and wake him up. 
and said, Boniface, get up. This man became a very great minister of God, Reverend Boniface. But when he was a young boy, so whenever his brother wakes him up, he would say things like, The Bible says, Woe unto him that gets up early and you continue to sleep. It's in the Bible, isn't it? But he's doing cutting and pacing here. The actual scripture he was quoting is, Woe unto them that rise up early to go to the wine. <laughs> when it is red. But he cuts that part off and tells the brother, The Bible says, Woe is he that wakes up early. So the brother who doesn't know will be thinking, oh, okay, well, the Bible says, what kind of a Bible is this? But actually, the Bible doesn't, it's not that. It's cutting and pasting. Let's watch out on cutters and pasters. Let's watch out on them. God have mercy. Praise God. Praise God. God is faithful. God is faithful. You see, so... <laughs> So, for the simple person, he hears somebody quote scripture and they believe it. No, no, don't be, don't be simple. Check it out. Amen. Praise Jesus. Now, let's come to some of the heavy parts. Come with me now to the, to the verse 12. Hallelujah. Praise God. I trust God you're learning something this morning. Right, let's go to the verse 12. So, when the devil tells Jesus, cast yourself down, so the verse, um, in the verse 9, take him to the temple, top of the, of the temple, and says, throw yourself down, and the angels will catch you where, 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 in which he was Christian scripture, and Jesus Christ knew. But in all of these, let me point this out also to us. That Jesus does not use divine, any, any extraordinary powers to overcome Satan. Please take note of that. He does not use any divine, you know, godly powers to do anything. He uses something that is also available to you and to me. The scriptures, the word of God. If you check all three temptations, he always says, it is written. It is written. But in the third one, he says, it is said. <laughs> Probably just to divert from Satan's. Not to go his line. But in all three cases, he uses the scriptures. Indicating that you and me, we can defeat him with the same scriptures. Every time he comes, you can. Hallelujah. You can with the scriptures. Praise God. By the scriptures. It is not automatic that we, that we will overcome temptation, but with the scriptures, standing upon them without moving, without budging, you will overcome. Praise God. So when he tells Jesus this, Jesus now replies and says in the verse 12, come with me to verse 12, please. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. 
you shall not tempt the Lord thy God. Hallelujah. You will not tempt God. You shall not tempt God. You should not tempt God. In all the temptations, the clue to what the devil was doing is in the response that Jesus gives him. The clue to, to temptation is always in the, in, the, in the response of Jesus. He says, you shall not tempt God. Now the questions, two questions here. What is tempting God? What, 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 is, what do you mean by tempting God? It was Jesus who introduces this term. You should not tempt God. In this temptation, or in Luke, he's the one that brings it up. What does it mean to tempt God? And why should we not tempt God? Two questions to answer. Okay. Let's start with the word tempt itself. Okay? The word tempt itself, actually, Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. Let's go there. He quotes from Deuteronomy 6, verse 16, where Moses, the man of God, is one more time reading all the laws that he's given. Okay? So Moses is reading all the laws that he's given so far. And in reading these laws, he says this, that means this also becomes part of the law. Thou shalt not tempt God. Write it down, very important. Tell your neighbor, that's not tempt God. Thou shalt not tempt God. Or basically, in modern English, don't tempt God. Don't tempt God. But what does the tempt mean? How do I know I'm tempting God or not? Okay, tempt. The word tempt, as used here in Deuteronomy, and Jesus Christ also quotes it in, um, in his answer to Satan. And as point of, and another point I want to bring here is this. You see that in all these temptations, Jesus bases all his answers from, the, from Deuteronomy. Chapter 8, verse 3. <laughs> all right? And then chapter 6, verse 13, and then verse 16. Okay, now, let's, from these two cha chapters, he deals with the devil. But what does the word tempt here mean? Tempt. The word tempt has this picture. This picture. It has this picture of grabbing a living thing. And I'm deliberately using the word living. So I'm not talking about inanimate things. I'm not talking about grabbing a chair 
but a living thing. It could be a person, could be an animal. Okay? So take hold, grab a living thing, and then drive that living thing to a standard and tell that living thing to act or perform according to the standard. Or have a standard and grab hold of a person, sit the person down and say, now function or operate or act according to this standard way. This standard that you have set up, that you are commanding, you have, you've grabbed hold of this living thing, say, now act or perform according to this set way of doing things. So whatever you are doing, stop. Come here and do this. And when you are able to perform according to the standard, I will approve you. Is the illustration very clear? Grab hold of a living thing. Bring the living thing to a standard. And turn the living thing or force, actually the word that is force or compel, force that living thing to function according to, this, to that standard. And when it is done correctly, you now honor or approve that living thing as having done well. Else, fa failed. Let me bring it home. Tempting is also testing. And the scenario I gave you is something that we are all familiar with. Especially in our schooling system. In our schooling system, you are trained and then at one point, you are forced to sit an exam. A standard exam for your year or your level. If you are in year 5 or year 9 or year 10, you sit a test according to that level. Year 16 or 13, if you're year 13, you sit the A-level exams. And when you perform, answer all the questions correctly, you are honored with grades A, B, or C, or whatever. If you do badly, you are given a U or an F. And someone interpreted the U as, you know, what did they, what they say about the U? They said the U was what? Um, un, unsurpassed. They told their parents that you means unsurpassed. That means, you know, I'm above all. Actually, <laughs> the you means <laughs> unqualified. Right. Or if you are doing, so when you pass, when you're able to operate according to the standard, then a certificate is given to you to honor you, to say now 
you are approved. You are approved. You, now you are approved. Now we approve you. Carry on. So when you're talking about tempting God, it is forcing or bringing God to a standard you have set up and say, God, perform according to this standard. And when you do, I approve you as God. If you're able to function as this, then you are indeed Father. If you're able to function, bear me up as I fall down, then you are indeed my, then, then you have really proved that you are, you are, you are Father. And Jesus Christ says, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. Tempt not God. Don't tempt God. It is said, Thou shalt not tempt God. You do not force God and bring him to a place and say, God, you know, perform. Do according to this standard. Do according to, you know, this way that I, I feel. If you are able to satisfy these conditions in my life, then you've proved yourself to be God. That is tempting God. And you see, in the Bible, we read earlier on in Exodus. In Exodus 7, we see the Bible says that the, the people tempted God. Let me, th let me read through with you. Come with me, please. Exodus 7. Cases in the Bible where people tempted God. They tempted God. They tempted God. Come with me. Hallelujah. Exodus chapter 7, please. Exodus, let's say 7. 17, please. Exodus 17. And we read in the verse 1 and 2. It's, it's in the verse 2, but just for understanding. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandments of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. No water. No water. Mark that in your Bible. Mark that. Um, wherefore, the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said, Why chide with me? Wherefore do ye tempt God? By chiding with me, Moses, actually you are tempting God. Oh my goodness. God is without error. That all men may know that there's no error in God. His plans are too perfect to be modified. His ideas are too perfect to be improved upon. His paths are excellent to be enlarged or to be altered. He's God. His ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. He said, I declare the end from the beginning. 
I know the end of a thing even before it starts. I am God. He's exalted high above all and he reigns supreme. He is God Almighty. Hallelujah. What am I saying here? And come with me to the verse 17, please. Sorry, the verse 7. And he, call, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah. Massa means temptation and Meribah means strive or contention. Because of the children of the children of Israel. And because they tempted the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us or not? You see the issue? Because there's no water, are you among us or not? We need water. If you can bring water, then you are among us. When he said, I lead you, put your trust in me, for I'm leading you. How great is our God? How great is his name? He rolled over, over the waters of the mighty Red Sea. And he said, put your trust in me. I will lead you. Now they are saying, is he amongst us or not? If you can bring water, then you are amongst us. If you can't bring water, then you're not. But you see, there's more to this than we've mentioned. Moses said, Why chide with me and tempt God? Right, okay. Come with me to Numbers 20. Numbers 20. Numbers chapter 20, please. Hallelujah. In Numbers 20, read, read verse 3 and 4, please. Numbers 20, verse 3 and 4. I just want to explain something, but let me read the scripture first. Then it would... Or tying together. Numbers 20, verses 3 and 4, and then we would also read verse 13. Okay, all right. Let's read from the verse 1 so we can get a picture, right? Verse 1 to 4, and then verse 13. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zen in the first month. Remember, in Exodus, they moved from Sin to Rephidim. Now they move from wherever they are to Zin. Right? 40 years in the wilderness, going in circles. Right. And the people abode in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried. Remember, Miriam was older than Moses. Right? And there was no water 
for the congregation and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people showed, that's the same word, chide, right? Showed, past tense. Showed with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord? Talking about the days, about the days of Korah. Why didn't you kill us during those times? Or those who have held us out, some other, some other things, why didn't you kill us? And why have you brought up the congregation of, of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our cattle should die there? Why did you take us from Egypt? And brought us here. There are no figs. There are no pomegranates. There are no vines. You know, the standardized things that someone who is really a God does for his people. You are not doing them. <laughs> if you go on and we come to the verse 23. Sorry, the verse 13. It reads, this is the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel strove with, with the Lord, and he was sanctified in them. Okay, I've cut so many things out, but, but please take time and read Numbers 20, verse 1 to 13. And here you will see that they chose with Moses and Aaron and tempted God again. And it didn't go down well with Moses. So what Moses was told to do, he went extra. The first time God made him strike the rock with his rod and water came out. This time when he was asked to do that, strike the, the rock once, he struck the rock twice because he was angry with the people. He was also upset. Why are you doing this? Now, watch this. What is happening here in Exodus? The fathers... Those who came out of Egypt first showed with God, with Moses, and tempted God. It's the same as chiding God. Chiding Moses is the same as chiding God. Hello? Because it is God who has sent Moses on this errand. Hello? If you get angry with Moses, you're actually getting angry with, with God because he's only on this assignment, he was in. <laughs> He was minding his own business as a shepherd. And God called him to go to Egypt to bring his people out, to worship him. So he's only a man under instruction and nothing, and nothing more. He's not building any empire for himself. He's not building any, any, any kingdom for, for, for himself. It is just doing what God has said. So when you deal with Moses, you're actually dealing with God. Miriam tried that and became leprous. Spoke, spoke against Moses. And God told him, are you not afraid to speak to, him, to Moses like that? Even though you are his oldest, you know, you are, you are the older sister. But he's still someone I'm working with on this job. And you had no reverence. And you spoke to him in that way. Leprosy for seven days. 
Now, these were the in Exodus, it was the fathers. And because of their need, because of their need, because of their need, they gave God a standard and they chose and they tempted God. Now, this is about 37 or 38 years later. In Numbers 20, we are not really reading about the same people. Now we are reading about the children of the people who we saw in Exodus. So the fathers tempted God. The children after 37 or 38 years are doing the same thing. The same thing. Chatting with Moses. Tempted God. Same thing. Same thing. You see, but let me say this here. Let me say this. Let me say this. Come with me to chapter 21, please. Numbers 21. Before I go any further, chapter 21 verses, let's, let's just do this. Same book of Numbers, please, before I make this point. 21, please. Ch chapter 21, please. Chapter 21. Chapter 21. And I'll read from the verse 1, 2, 4 again. Yes, please hold. Hold tight. Hold, 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 hold tight. Let's read from. I'll read from verse 1, verse one to 6. Right? Just hold tight. And when the king of Arad. The Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell that Israel came by the way of the spies. Then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou will indeed deliver these people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel. And delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. And he called the name of the place Homer. That's God in the corner place, Homer. And they journeyed from the Mount of Hor. Watch that. They journeyed from the Mount of Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul, and the soul, and the soul. Mark that in the Bible. If the Bible is yours, and the soul of the people was much discouraged. Discouraged because of the way. And the people speak against this time. It said clearly, they speak against who? God. And against Moses. That is the same chiding, the same tempting, spoke against God. Wherefore have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loatheth this light bread. Indicating that at least there was bread. But the bread was a light bread. They call it light bread. The word light there means worthless. So they called the bread that God has given them so far to be eaten worthless, the manna, worthless. It's worthless bread. They spoke against God. Now, watch what happened in the verse 6. 
And the Lord sent fiery serpents amongst them, among the people. And they bit the people. And much people of Israel died. The word fiery there means burning. So this kind of serpent, when it bites you, it gives you a burning sensation. It was terrible. So because of that, because of that, they repented. Because of that. And came to beg. And God gave them the brazen serpent and healed them. So God healed them eventually. But God punished them. What am I saying here? The fathers did it. They chewed with God. I will explain the word chewed in a minute. And the, the children came to do the same thing. And these children, because what they spoke to God, what they spoke God, what they tempted God about, in the first time, God gave them water. It was water, God gave them. Second time, it was bread and I mean, God gave them again. So they thought that was the way to handle this God. They thought the way to handle this God is always tempt him. It's always test him. Always test him. If you put him to the test, like some people believe, some people believe that if you want God to act, put God in a tight corner. Oh my goodness, that's blasphemy. You never do that. So they thought they could repeat it again. And here in chapter 21, they repeated the same thing, spoke plainly against God, and this time God punished them, indicating that it is not acceptable to tempt God. But what does it mean to chide or to chode God, right? The word chide is this. It's a picture, it's a picture of the head of a family. Or the head of any order. But the best example is the head of a home. Or the head of a family. The head of the family is the one in any dispute going on in the house. Is the head that eventually says, I've heard you. I've heard you. I've heard you. You are wrong. This is how we do this thing. We do this thing this way. This is the way we should go. That's it. So to chide is to take authority over the situation and, and decide what is the right way to go. And everybody go that way. That's what the word chide means. So chiding means telling Moses, Moses, we're taking control now. You are wrong. You are wrong. Your way is not good. This is what is needed. That's what you must do. So God, you are wrong. The way you are putting things is not right. We don't feel good about it. We are really upset. The fact that you are God, that doesn't mean that you should, you know, honor things this way. We are also people. We, we feel you made us in your image. So we can also tell you when things are not right. We are of age. And we can tell you things on our mind too. That is chiding God. So when a person is tempting God, that is really what the individual is doing. Like taking control as a head person and saying that, and bringing your, um, your suggestion and saying, 
this now is the way we're going to go. That is what they were doing. That is tempting God. So when a person is saying, if you are God, then let this happen. It's saying, you're taking control now. He should perform. And when he performs this, you will now honor him as God. But you see, he doesn't need you to be God. Hallelujah. In the same way that a child of God does not need the approval of another or Satan to say you are a child of God or not. You are a child of God because God says you are. <laughs> Hallelujah. You see, you are filled with the Spirit and there's nothing the enemy can do about it. Hallelujah. You see, so God is God by who he is. Amen. So that is tempting God. That is tempting God. So we've answered the question on what does it mean to tempt God? Now let me quickly try and answer the second question. Why should we not tempt God? And I'll do that very quickly. Now, <laughs> like I said earlier on, we put ourselves through testing in our educational system or even in your work in your workplace you are you are you are tested let's change the word test, tempted to testing right it's the same thing you are tested on some level to see if you can function if you can function on, on this managerial level they push you up it's same as in school if you are tested and you prove that you're okay, you are given a certificate. And that certificate honors you. Now, the problem is this. Why should you not tempt God? You cannot tempt, you should not tempt God because God is uncreated. God is uncreated. You can only test created things. Why would you test created things? You test created things to see if they fit the standard to which you created them to perform at. But God is uncreated. So what standard can any man ever put for God to meet? When God is uncreated, but he has created all things and so can allow you to be tested. We test people because they come to our schools. I have never seen any student go into any school and say, now headmaster, come, I'm going to test you. We don't test the headmasters because you have come into his school and he tests you. And tell the whole world, now this individual is approved to function. I don't know if those of you who are learning to drive a, a car, do you, did you ever try to test your, your driving in instructor? No, you don't. He tests you. 
And then when you pass, he gives you your sleep and, and then you, you go about dancing and joy because you're happy. Your instructor has tested you and said you are okay. So, in the same way, God cannot be tested because God is uncreated. Because there's no standard you can even put in. It's uncreated. What standard would you put him to? That is the question. What standard? You see, and God is not human. Ah. Another reason why you can't tempt God is that God is not human. So what human test can you give him that he will not pass? God is not human. He is God. And he has a power, ability. Every temptation you give him, he can... Oh my goodness, why? He's, he, he's not human. God is excellent without error from the beginning in the middle to the end. He's without error all the way through. God is without error. God makes no mistakes. Let me put it this way. God needs no improvement. You cannot improve upon God. Actually, it's impossible. He cannot be improved upon. My Bible tells me, Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You may charge me with cut and paste, but here I'm saying it in context that he remains the same. And that was the context of Hebrews anyway. That he remains the same. Hallelujah. He remains the same. So when you, so what test are you going to give him? And what improvement can you put upon God? God is unimprovable and undebasable. You can't debase God and you can't improve God. Because he's forever perfect. Hallelujah. Praise God. See, so God is without error. So when the devil now comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, do this thing. Jesus Christ says, ah, this is tempting God. This means forcing God's hand to do something which he has not prescribed in the scriptures. I am here to fulfill prophecy. Do you see that in the gospels, whatever Christ does, especially Matthew will say things like, that so that it might be fulfilled. That it might be fulfilled. Everything he did on the cross, he said, it is finished. Again, he said, I have come to do your will, oh God. So his very life here on earth was to fulfill the plan and path and the purpose of God in God's own way and in God's own design. So by now, listening to Satan and jumping off the temple or whatever, jumping down, was not part of the details he had received from God. It was not in the blueprint for him to jump down, to show anything. So for him to do that, he will be forcing God to act. He says, no. It is said, 
Thou shall not tempt the Lord thy God. Why? Because God is without error. There's no error in God. So in our lives, as we go about, you will get opportunities, many, plenty. Especially times you think you are full of the Holy Ghost. Expect those temptations. That's a normal time to really expect temptation. Because you'll be trialed, and the reason why you're being tried is to prove that you accept, that you believe that God in all circumstances of life is without error. That means whatever he has detailed in his book or his plan for you is without error. The people, because they were weary. You see, in the Numbers 21, in the Numbers 21, they told God to help them go and defeat Arad. And God said, go. And God gave them victory. After the victory, they had to go back to where they came from, to their, to their, to, to their town. But the see, Bible says that they went through the Red Sea. That's where Edom was, Red. But they could not go through Edom because Edom would not allow them. So they had to go around Edom. So in going around, the way was tedious. So they got weary, they got tired. And now they started speaking against God and against Moses because they were wearied. In your moment of weariness, when you are wearied, when you are worn out, when you're on the ground, don't tempt God. Don't tempt God. When you are in need, don't tempt God. Don't use your circumstance. Don't use your predicament. If you find yourself in a predicament, don't tempt God. If you're not going to do this, then I won't serve you again. That is tempting God. Don't tempt God. Hallelujah. Rather, say, Lord, let your will be done. I find myself in this situation, but God, let your will be done. Don't tempt God. But the point is this, the word of God is a solution, is a key to overcoming the devil and all his temptations. The, we, are, we have looked at these temptations because that was a starting point of our masters, our king's ministry life. He was tempted. And we um, are being, we've been tempted and I'm sure most of us during this period have been tempted in some ways or, or the other. But use the word of God and don't try to fight anything in your own strength. Use the word of God. And don't be sitting there waiting for some divine thing to come. Use the word of God to fight the enemy. Hallelujah. Use the word of God. Praise God. But whatever you do, don't tempt God. You will get opportunities to murmur what God is doing, how things are this. Especially when you've passed a certain age, you begin to complain, Lord, look at my age right now. What are you doing? Hey, it is a way of telling God, God, you don't know what you are doing. I think I know better. 
Because God is leading you. My Bible tells me it's, it's God himself who's at work in you, both to will and to do. And let's quote the rest of the, of the scripture. Of his, of his, of his, of his, of his, not ours, of his good pleasure. Because often people will quote, oh, it's God at work, working us, both to do and to will. He's good. No, it is of his good pleasure. So he's doing his good pleasure. Let it just work out. As long as you know you are walking in the path he's chosen for you. I want to tell you that God is at work in your life. Moved by the promptings of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. And the path that God has led you. And don't be moved by externals to tempt God. To have pressure on your head. Because for most of us, and excluding none of us, you will get a pressure. You will get pressure from family, from friends, from every, almost everybody telling you how you should live your life. Or go about in life. But you say, God, I hear them. This is what they are saying. But God, you are perfect. You make no mistake. When you made me and fashioned me and opened the way for me to be where I stand right now, you knew where you're taking me anyway. And I trust that. And I'm going to go with that. And I'm going to walk with that. And I'm going to keep my heart focused on your truth and live by it. Let the devil get behind me. And Bible says in the verse 13, and he left him and went for a season because he will come back again. My temptations I've come to say to you, God allows it to test whether we believe that in all circumstances of, of circumstances of our lives, he is without error. That means whatever he's doing in your life, there's no error in it. There's no error in it. He's got a path for you, a path for me, a plan for you, a plan for you. And we are walking in those things. Hallelujah. And there's no error in it. Let's believe it. Let's accept it. This is truth about God. Amen. God bless you. Father, we pray right now. Maybe you are, you've been hearing us. The truth of the matter is that you don't know Jesus. You are not born again. You are not born of God's spirit. You've, been, you've only been born by your natural parents. And that's it. You don't have that inner witness that you are a child of God. Today, wherever you are, you can talk to him and say, Lord God, I've lived my life chiding you, sometimes remembering, doing all kinds of things. But God, today, I realize that I'm in error. And Lord, I want to be your child because you have a perfect plan for your, for your, for your children and for all people. Lord, today, forgive me and give me your life. Make me yours, Lord. Make me yours. If you pray this prayer, trust in yourself to him. You want to believe that he's a faithful God. He says, call out unto me and I will answer you. 
and I'll show you great and mighty things. He's that faithful to his word. We are talking about the faithfulness, the God who is without error. No mistakes in him. God does not make any, there's no mistakes in God. He knows the end before even the thing starts. He's without error. You can trust him. You can go with him on this way. His name is God. He is not called God for nothing. He's God because he's without error. And we trust him. Now you, hearing me, you're already a believer. You know God's truth. But you see, you've had doubts in your mind as to whether God is really in your life or not. But today, Jesus, our master, answers that question for you. That yes, God is in your life. The fact that you're having so many temptations doesn't mean the Spirit of God is not in you and working through you. That is even when you will even sense those temptations more. So today you can have clarity and settlement in your spirit. And today also you want to, you know, say, Lord God, if I've ever had doubts about what what you're working through my life, today I repent. Lift my hands, lift my voice, lift my heart and say, Lord, I trust you. Thank you for your word. Just thank him and with joy begin to live this brand new life of trusting and not tempting God in all circumstances of life by trusting that yes, he is there with you. Even though you may not feel him, you may not see his footsteps, you may not hear anything, but he is there. You want to trust that and walk this faith walk in the name of Jesus. God bless.